Last week we looked at the numerous Bible references described God and Jesus as a shepherd and us as the sheep. We studied the role and responsibilities of a shepherd to help us understand all the characteristics of a good shepherd. And we considered our responsibilities as a part of the flock and how we must also help the good shepherd seek the lost and guide them into a relationship with him. This is a part of our mission as individuals and as a church. We recognize that there are times when we are the lost sheep in need of rescue, and that's okay. We have a God that loves us and pursues us and wants to pull us back in and forgives us. The message of our lives isn't just about the times that we get it right. Sometimes it's our mess that becomes the message. Our story isn't about how we always got it right. Your story isn't about how you got it right every time. Rather, it's about how you were made right through the gift of grace. This is a story that we all share in common. I'm not saying that we can do just whatever we want, sin without hesitation, then say, I'll I'll ask for forgiveness later. We are still responsible for our thoughts, words, and actions. But likewise, when we realize that we are on a bad path, we have been, that maybe even one that we've been on for some time, we are not stuck on that pathway forever unless we choose to be. We have been given a way out, a way back. And I often speak of the gift of free will as a double-edged sword. While we have freedom to do what we want, that doesn't mean that we always do what is best or do what is right. And the Apostle Paul captures this dilemma well in his letter to the Galatians. In chapter 5, verse 13, he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful desire. This is typical of the July 4th messages I've shared in the past. These messages like independence and freedom and God we trust. It is for freedom's sake. What it means to be free and the freedom of self-forgiveness can, can all be found in the archives of the Golden Beach podcast. But one of the freedoms that we have is how we choose to live our lives. Today I'm focusing on the one responsible for writing our story. That is the story of our lives and the stories that our lives tell. Let me remind you that the outline for a great story can be found here in the Bible, Right? You want some guidelines for, for how to live a good life? It's, it's included here. But you have to open it. And more importantly, you have to be open to it. God has given you instructions on how to do your life in a way that is both enjoyable and safe. And we call that a blessed life, an abundant life. Despite his best efforts to put it in writing and then send his, uh, also send his son as a real world example, we still do our own thing more often than not. This is because he allows us to decide the details of our life. He casts a vision and he gives us chapter headings, right? You'll be born, you will, you will marry, you'll have a, you know, and, and maybe those include those things. Maybe you won't marry, maybe you won't have a child, but there are, there are headings to your life and God has cast some opportunities. He's got this upper story that's trucking along while we're going down here filling in the details and responding. He casts that vision, and we have to choose how to respond to each part of it. But if you think that this is dangerous, I'm inclined to agree. I'm certain that life would be better, or certainly easier, if God gave me specific line-by-line instructions all along the way, and I followed them, right? In many ways, that is what's offered, but we we still go on our own. But what is even more dangerous, and I I would consider even outright terrifying, is, is we let others have input in our stories. We let others write our stories or help define us. 
And I realized after last week's prayer time that there were some very large families in this congregation. I was amazed. There were several people that had five, ten siblings. You know, I think we should have paused and prayed for mothers and fathers in that case. But I, I grew up in a family where I had two brothers. I was in the middle of three sons. Make your joke about the middle child if you must. It explains a lot. Um, I warned her. She still married me. That's on her. But when we went on family trips, whether it was to Colorado, Winnipeg, or, or just camping at Truman Lake, we had activities for the car ride. We had the typical games we play. But one of them was this game, Mad Libs. Anybody remember Mad Libs? Do they still make Mad Libs? Anybody know? Okay, good. Good. Yes. Tomorrow, babe. After dinner, Mad Libs. <laughs> Take a look at the image on the screen, and, and we remember these. Right? Mad Libs was one of our go-to activities. We would fill in all the blanks and laugh as we read the messed up story that we created. It was also how I learned what an adverb was, by the way. So consider this question. Who are you allowing to write your story? If you're taking the influence of anyone but God, then you're allowing someone else to have input on how you fill in the blanks of your life. This is dangerous because how we act and in response, but equally dangerous when it comes to how we view and value ourselves. I, I kind of came up with this, this letter that I would say maybe reflects how God sees us. And perhaps he would say something like this. He says, I know you by name. The world may call you blank, right? whatever your name may be, but I call you my child. You are mine. I created you. I love you. I made you to be loving, caring, humble, and kind. You are good, and you are perfectly equipped to do all that I have in mind for you to do. I know your struggles, and I see your efforts. You may think that you are just a band of one, but know that I am with you always. It is by your acceptance of my grace that you are now righteous. Please know that. Enjoy the blessings of creation, but know that better things await you in heaven. Keep living your best life and be the light for others. I'll be watching and waiting with excitement to see you do in my name. Just never forget that I love you, signed God. I kind of did that, but I'll tell you what, I didn't just make this up. That is, those words in various forms are in this book. I didn't make any of that up. Because of what I know about God's character here, I felt confident that that's what he's saying to each one of you. It's a beautiful letter of encouragement and love. But here's the exercise. What if we were to let other people define some of this for us? It might look like the Mad Lib thing like this, where we get to interject whatever adjective. And it's kind of an exercise in this yesterday while we were downstairs. I had Sherry. I was like, tell me an adjective. Tell me a verb, okay? And we kind of came up with our own thing. I was actually going to ask for audience participation, but I realized how long that was going to take. But just think about what a mess it would be if, if you asked anybody else or even yourself without really knowing the story of what God wants for you in your life to pick some of the words here, right? Think about that. What a mess that would be. How unsettling that would be to not know, you know some of the things, you know, to know that you're equipped for everything you need to do or, or, or anything else to, that someone else might tell you that you are equipped to do something completely different than what God has in mind with you. No wonder we struggle. No wonder we struggle. What happens when you open up to influence of others is people get to fill in the blanks. And every wonderful adjective that describes you is subject to replacement. The promise of being equipped for a purpose is now subject to replacement or outright deletion. How unsettling it would be to have even one of these words replaced with something less encouraging or less true. 
When we allow others to take away the loving limits of what is acceptable or to interject anything but truth, we suddenly feel like it's okay to substitute all kinds of things in place of what God desires for us. From 1 Corinthians 15.33, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. This key didn't even attack your identity. And listen to the story from Scripture. This is found in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So even though the devil knew who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and who Jesus will be, he still dared to confront Jesus' identity with the goal of tempting him by saying, if you are the son of God, then do this. The devil does the same thing to us by, by filling our minds with doubts, insecurities, and fear. He attempts to fill in those blanks or at least to, to rob the choice words of, of the certainty that they should have. The evil one wants us to ask questions like, if I'm a child of God, why, why is this happening to me? Why am I getting sick? Why is someone else getting the promotion while I'm being overlooked when I'm doing the right things? Am I sure that God loves me? If I'm saved and if I promise to repent later, one little sin won't affect me. Those aren't God's words. Those are the words that someone else is putting in those slots that is less than truthful. When the devil confronted Jesus' identity, Jesus did not question his own identity or, or given a temptation. Instead, he, he used scripture as a weapon and a shield against the devil. We talked about this extensively a few weeks ago when we were talking about the full armor of God, the offensive and defensive weapons in the spiritual war, many of which are the Bible itself. Jesus did not need to prove to himself or to the devil or doubt who he was because he knew where his identity came from, the mouth of God, you are my son. Paul's letter to the early church in Rome advised them to do likewise. From Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. By knowing God's will, you will know what is good and acceptable and what the truth is for every one of those spaces in your story. So how do you know if there's a part of your story being influenced or outright dictated by others? Ask yourself how you feel. Are you feeling convicted, right? That doesn't feel good. But God convicts, God does not condemn. You're, what you're doing is wrong, okay? God, you are wrong. You are bad, not God. Does the way you feel about yourself align with how God sees you, right? I may not care about how you look, but I am beautiful to God. God loves me. I'm a value. That's in alignment with God. Do you even know how God sees you? We spent a lot of time on this question in a message titled Reflected in Truth. So, so go back and listen to it or, or reach out to me or a trusted friend and say, how do I know how God sees me? I promise you, your answer is encouraging. And it's not just better than the way other people see you. It's usually better than the way you see yourself. Again, Jesus did not need to prove himself to the devil or, or doubt who he was because he knew where his identity came from. It came from God. And just like Jesus, you do not need to prove yourself to the devil or anyone else. You do not need to doubt your value to God or others or how much you were loved or how lovable you are. You know where your identity comes from. It's from God himself too. I rewrote this letter 
I'm calling it a letter. And I made it our own as if we're accepting the truth. So if you indulge me, can we, can we read this together and, and really read it for yourself? He knows me by name. The world may call me Tyler, but God calls me his child. He created me. He loves me. I am his. He made me to be loving, caring, humble, and kind. I am good and I am perfectly equipped to do all that he has in mind for me to do. He knows my struggles and sees my efforts. I may think that I am in this alone, but I know that God is with me always and he has placed people in my life to help me along the way. Because I have accepted his gift of grace, I have been made righteous. I know that. I believe that. I will enjoy the blessings of creation, but know that better things await me in heaven. I will keep living my best life and be the light for others. I know that God is watching and waiting with excitement to see what I do in his name. I will never forget that he loves me. That feels good. That's absolute truth, right? Absolute truth. I hope you believe it. I hope you believe it. I really do. You may have noticed that I included a statement about others helping us along the way. That is a shared responsibility and also one of the roles of the church to encourage, support, and hold accountable. The wisdom of Proverbs 12, 26 tells us that the righteous is a guide to his neighbor. And Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 reminds us that as a congregation, we're to encourage one another, spur each other on towards good works, hold each other accountable. Perhaps you worry about the story you've written so far in your life. Perhaps it isn't the whole story. Rather, there are periods of your life that, that you wish didn't exist. We all have those. You worry that they have or continue to define you. Friends, I have it on good authority that there is hope. Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name, and that is you, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked sins, then I will hear their prayer from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. These are God's own words. He promises us, if you humble yourself and pray and turn from your ways, then he will forgive your sin. And if that is you this morning, then take a quick moment to tell God you are sorry. And this is very important. Accept his forgiveness. Forgive yourself as well. And God's response can be found in places like Psalms 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, right? Infinite. So far as he removed our transgressions. Micah 7, 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. These are, these are illustrations of how far apart we're removed from our sin. But nothing to me speaks better than Hebrews 8, which repeats a promise from Jeremiah 31. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. I mean, this is the epitome of forgive and forget, to truly forget. And it's the model of how we are to forgive each other. question I'm often asked when I'm in a pastoral care setting is, is real change possible? A person struggling with sin and addiction or even just compulsions often believe that, that they cannot change. This is the way I am. I'm stuck. Equally as bad as that the other people in their life may unintentionally be sending them the same message through the way that they respond to this person. They've almost given up on change, but I promise you, real change is not only possible, it is undeniable, it is unavoidable, it is a certainty. But I need to warn you, try harder Christianity doesn't work. You can't just, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to, you know, every day, yes, we are going to try again. We are going to try again. But trying harder with the wrong tool never work. 
but trying hard with the God's help and the spirit that he set within us does. Corinthians 5, 17 reminds us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've accepted Christ in your life, he is a new creation. He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. It's gone. It's in the depths of sea, far as the east is from the west. Behold, the new has come. Why are you holding on to something that's been let go? Ephesians 4, 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, right? I promise you, you can't change on your own, but you can change with help. In the meantime, while, while you're working on yourself with God's help, know that God's love letter to you remains unchanged. The Apostle Paul had to remind the early Christians this often, including words found in Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Boy, Paul would have made a good lawyer. He likes to close up loopholes. He says, none of this stuff will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how much he loves you. If you do this, when you do this, then I will, I promise I will forgive, and I mean and forget. So if you're struggling because of some poorly chosen parts of your story, there is forgiveness. If you're still struggling with these today, there is hope. And if you know someone in one of these situations, support them in prayer. Not just for the changing of their ways, but also for the changing of your heart. You are a person of influence to them, and we're all called to love everyone without judgment. Friends, God's love for you is so immense that it cannot be fully measured or understood. So accept that love and allow him to be the only one that influences the story of your life. And then write one story that honors God that you are confident in having as your legacy. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we accept the gift and the challenge of freedom. As we choose how to live our lives, may we write that story in a way that, that glorifies you. May the only outside influence that we allow into our hearts, into the story, into the way of our life, be you and yours. Lord, we ask you to come into our lives, to speak into us and let our lives speak about you. Lord, there are certainly parts of our lives and maybe ongoing parts of our lives that, that aren't what you would like us to write for ourselves. We ask for that heart to change. Lord, we ask for support and encouragement for those in our lives, but we ask also for forgiveness for our own hearts as we ask you to be what we need to be improved and blessed as a result. Lord, we thank you again for your love and your grace and your patience. We bring to you all of our sin, all of our struggles, all of our stress, and we leave them at the cross because that's what you told us to do. We took up our new life when we accepted you, and if we have yet to accept it, then that offer still stands for us to take up this new life and have all that die. We are new and alive in you. What a wonderful feeling. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to gather in this place, on this country, to worship you in this way. We hope everything we do this morning, everything we've heard, pleases you. That we may be changed for what we've heard this morning. That you may be glorified and blessed for our words of worship. May we, Lord, have a better vision and understanding of what you want us to do as we leave this place. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.